0: This is Unaided, the brand building podcast brought to you by LeakSide, a TeamSnap company. Get ready to learn about brand marketing strategy from the experts. Here's your host, Evan
1: Brandoff. Hello and welcome to the Win Grin Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Brandoff. Today, we welcome Ken Murray onto the show. Ken is currently the Chief Marketing Officer at Chief Outsiders providing growing businesses with fractional CMOs. He has led marketing at a lot of amazing brands, including J.G. Wentworth, which we're going to dive into later on the show. Let's get into it. Ken, thank you so much for coming on today. Evan, I am thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Right before we started recording, we were talking about planning. And this is the time of year that it seems like a lot of marketing departments are in planning mode, getting ready for the next year. And right now, it's November 11th, This this podcast is going to go live a little bit later, probably early in the new year. I'm curious, just generally, what are the keys to being good at annual planning for a marketing department?
0: You have to know where you want to go, right? And that's why marketing... like Marketing is just an extension of the business. So whatever marketing does really has to be in sync with what the business wants to do, what the strategy of the business is to move forward. That's step number one. If you're not aligned there, then all you're doing is treading water. Anybody can send out campaigns. Anybody can write, copy, anybody can, whatever you define as marketing, all those moving pieces, but they're tactical unless you're aligned with, the business, leadership, strategy, that's where it all starts, right? It starts and stops there, honestly.
1: You mentioned that campaigns that you've been a part of in the past that didn't work are ones that didn't tie back to the core mission. Can you elaborate a little bit on this? How should a marketing team, a marketing department leverage the mission of the organization in their work?
0: Again, the first thing is that there needs to be a recognized mission I'm a big Simon Sinek fan who understand the power of why, why you exist. And what you do is really important, how you do it. That's kind of the secret sauce. You know, everybody has a a cool way of doing stuff. But unless you know why you exist as an organization, then everything else is kind of immaterial. It's hard. It's hard work to get to that core purpose and vision. And I know you guys have done that. I mean, through your mission-based focus is, is amazing. And that alignment between youth sports leagues and the corporate partners that you bring together at LeagueSide, you clearly have that purpose, right? You understand why you exist. And I bet if you walk down your virtual halls these days, people would know why you exist. But at many companies, that's not the case. And so just getting back to your question, if you don't know why you exist, and again, you're just going through the motions, if you do know why you exist, then there's a North Star, right? And everything kind of pivots from that North Star to say, okay, I understand what we're trying to accomplish, right? I understand. And it has to do, typically, this customer has to be in the middle of that purpose. And as long as I understand that, it just opens up worlds of opportunities. But if I just decide to conduct what we like to call at Chief Outsiders, uh, my company, a random act of marketing, Right. Let's try this, throw it up against the wall and see what happens without tying it back to anything. I, let's run this campaign. I just love that. And you say, why? What's the purpose? What are we trying to do? Are we going to be able to measure it? Are we going to be able to really create value for this poor audience and tie back to the why? Look, we're all guilty of it. I've done it. You've probably done it. You also have to get stuff done. You don't always have the time or, you know, to say, oh, what's our why? I don't know what it is. So hang on, guy. I got to take a couple months and do some research and figure that out. Well, okay, you don't always have that luxury, but ideally, what you do ties back to your purpose.
1: Led the efforts of a couple of my favorite marketing campaigns, arguably the most iconic campaigns ever at, at J.G. Wentworth. And I want to get into those campaigns in a second. But first off, what was J.G. Wentworth's why?
0: I have to be completely honest. When I was working at J.G. Wentworth, this is like you know more than 10 years ago. 12 years ago ish. And as a marketer, as a human being, you mature over the years. And at that point, my thing was it's all about the customer. The customer has to be in the middle of every conversation. The customer without having that as your core value and mission, then everything else doesn't matter. And I think that's right. Still, it's not a complete picture without understanding why the entity, why the corporation exists. We didn't go through that exercise at J.D. Wentworth about, you know, why do we exist? I mean, it was a really successful company. People knew what they were supposed to do. I mean, it was really well run. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of bandwidth to try some things. But it really was about trying to connect with our audience at the end of the day. Okay, so forget the why for a second. It's really that connection with the audience. And then, look, providing a valuable service for an underserved audience. What the heck is a structured settlement? Nobody knows what that is, but there's a million people in this country that have it and who need money. We made that connection and that was our purpose, is really to provide liquidity for an underserved audience that had no other resource, especially when they needed cash.
1: Well, people don't necessarily know what a structured settlement is, but I think everyone does know what cash now means. J.G. Wentworth at 877-CASH-NOW is the phone number, which is one of the most iconic phone numbers, not just because it's simple, but it also is so accurate in describing what J.G. Wentworth does. How did you get that phone number?
0: So J.G. Wentworth, we owned over a thousand vanity numbers, right? I mean, 800 this, 877 that, 888 this. And mainly it was for tracking purposes because we did a lot of advertising throughout hundreds of distribution channels, TV, times, however many networks and even local stations. So we needed 800 numbers for every single touch point. We had probably 20 numbers on the website because we wanted to know where people were when they called. I mean, we were very analytical. We really, that's data drove that company. So I got a call. Actually, I got a call one day from this guy in Wisconsin and he said, hey, I've got this phone number that I think you could really use knowing what little I know about your business. I'm like, okay, great. What is it? 877 cash now. That is a good number. I've got numbers close to that, but I don't have that. I said, How much do you want for it? He said, A million bucks. And I said, No, thank you. I'm not interested. It's not worth it. I can't afford it. Right. I mean, I don't have a big budget like that. He called five minutes later and said, Okay, it might not be worth a million bucks, but it's worth at least a half a million. And I said, Sir, thank you for your interest. I can't afford that. I can't justify spending that much money on a phone number that I've never used. At this point, the gears are starting to grind in my head. Like, hey, there's some possibilities here. And I was even thinking, maybe I could rent it. Like I could just trial it to see a thousand bucks to use it for a week or something, right? Just to try it. And that's going to be a lot of expense on me too, because I've got to incorporate it into creative and I've got to do all these. There's a lot of moving parts. He kept calling. He finally said, okay, what will you buy it from me for? What's your number? And I said, 5,000 bucks whatever, I'm not going to lose sleep over this. He called back. We ended up, I, I won't disclose the number, but we ended up much closer to my number than to his number. And that was that. And it was just like off to the races, just really being super creative around the use of how do I leverage this? And we actually created a new brand out of that within literally a couple of months.
1: And it's probably hard at this point to remember the exact metrics. But from a high level, do you remember how much call volume increased after... you? And what was the phone number before it? Was it anything notable?
0: We didn't have a specific vanity number for J.G. Wentworth. Like I said, we literally used hundreds of 800 numbers. I mean, we maintained them. And that was just part of the operations component of making sure we always have... Testing. We're, I mean, just constantly testing different strategies and different uses of that phone number. Over the course of about a year, it drove qualified leads up over 50 percent. It was planned we didn't. It wasn't just like, hmm, gee, let's just try something and see what happens. I mean, we mapped it out. We were. And there is serendipity involved, too. I mean, we had just. Amazing creative talent that worked on this, uh, it was an agency, Carlin Pinsler in New York. I, mean, I remember they came down when I, for our first meeting, when I said, Hey, I have this number, I need you guys to come up with some concepts. You're the creative guys. I'm the operations, the business guy. And a week later, they came back and we're going through some of the boards as they're going through. And the first one's like, Oh, it's, well, it's okay. The second one, you know, it's just so typical. You've got these money dollar bills flying everywhere. I'm like, No, I don't want that. The third one was like, Oh my God, (laughs) it was, I didn't even get halfway through. And I said, we're doing, we have to do this. And, and I'm either going to lose my job or it's going to be super successful. There is no in between here. And that was the opera because I told them before they came back with this concept, they said, what are your KPIs? Like, what do you want to do? I said, well, Obviously, I want to increase business, right? I need to generate more web leads. I need to generate more phone calls. I need to generate ultimately more revenue. But that would be with any campaign. So really, what I want to do here is I want people singing in the shower about J.G. Wentworth. I want to know that people are doing that. And they kind of looked at me. I'm like, how are you going to know that? I don't know. That's the goal. They did a fantastic job with the production, hiring the right talent. We had a great location in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, where we filmed this thing. We hired real opera singers to do the voiceovers. And about three weeks into the campaign, I'm going through YouTube comments because it is just YouTube's blowing up.
1: The, what year is this at this point? 2008, probably.
0: And I'm going through, I'm scrolling through and probably down into the 200th comment or something like that. And there was this one that said, I cannot believe it. I was in the shower this morning and I caught myself singing the dang (laughs) JG Wentworth 877 Cash Now song. And I just went, yes. (laughs) (laughs) My life is complete. I can just hang it up now.
1: I mean, of course, everyone wants to increase call volume or increase sales. But when you think of a KPI outside of the metrics, but instead of like if people are singing this in the shower or something along those lines it yields so much more creativity and and that commercial probably wouldn't have came to be if the KPI you provided them was just we need to increase call volume
0: that's one of the dangers of any kind of marketing team that takes literal guidance right from its leadership team let's say the goal is the job description and the mission grow the business by Twenty percent year over year, we need to get to X millions in revenue, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, I good. Okay, so we will do that. How am I gonna get there? But you have to really think outside, because we're all human beings, right? It doesn't matter if it's B2C, B2B, the decision maker. I haven't seen a situation where the, the true decision maker isn't a human being. And human beings have emotions and human beings react. And that's really what you're trying to get to is I want someone to react, do something. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to, I'm going to play something. I'm going to, you're going to read something from me, whatever the medium is. And I need you to react. And it's not about if I just tell you, Hey, I want to increase sales and my product is better than the other guy's product or Hey, you can't find the product at a lower price than unless you buy it from me. Okay. That's great, but that doesn't mean anything. But if you think around the bend a little bit and say, what is going to, get me some attention here and not be ridiculous. I mean, you, got, you have to be a little careful. It still ties back, has to tie back to why you exist and the business objectives I need to grow. It is really hard. It's hard to find the creative space to do that. It's hard to find sometimes the support to do that, but that's how you break through.
1: You got me thinking of a world in the future where we aren't selling to humans anymore and there's actually computers representing the company or the household making
0: decisions certainly are being made on what you will see right what types of advertising you will see based on what computers think right i mean that's been happening for a long time but at the end of the day the buying decision i believe still rests within flesh and blood someone who has a brain and who has to has to think a little bit um and make a decision.
1: And speaking to computers, choosing what you see, Zubin, our co-founder, whenever he gets targeted by an ad on Instagram, he buys it because he assumes the algorithm knows him better than he knows him and he (laughs) will enjoy whatever they're targeting him with. Yeah, why not? The other commercial or campaign that was iconic in my mind from J.G. Wentworth was, it's my money and I need it now. That came before or after? That was before. When I joined J.G. Wentworth, they had just gone through a private equity transaction whenever that happens, you're going to build
0: the right team to grow, right? You've got some funding now. The expectation is you're going to grow at a pretty healthy CAGR. I was brought on board as the first CMO and the CEO, Mike Goodman, the CEO had been doing marketing before, and we ended up marketing assistant. He was really good, but we needed to take it to the next level. So it it took me several months to kind of absorb what we had. And then I kind of realized, well, we can't keep doing what we've been doing. We're going to have to step beyond sort of from a creative standpoint. And this business is such, the product is such as that there's no list. Like you can't just buy a list of people who have structured settlements. And then like in the old days, you do direct mail campaigns, right? You can't do that. It doesn't exist. People don't even necessarily know that a structured settlement back then was liquid, right? That they could actually sell payments. So we had to create the demand, if you follow me we had to let people know that this was a thing. And so the only way to really do that in 2008 was through TV. And supplemented with a lot of digital stuff, but TV led the way in terms of like flying all the air cover. But we needed to move the needle. The business was healthy, but we really needed to move the needle and figure out a way to get people, more people excited and more people engaged about the product. And that's where it's my money came about, and that was through deep, deep research. So we did a ton of customer listening in our call center. You know, we had 300 people, 300 seats of call center. You know, and I would just sit there and listen, as well as our agency that I mentioned, Carla and Pimsler came in and we sat there for a couple of days just listening to calls, absorbing, and we felt that pain, right? And that's an important point: is that In order to solve a problem, you've got to find the pain. And that is, that goes in consulting. When I'm talking to a client or a prospective client, I mean, one of the first questions I ask is, where's your pain? And you just go right in. And it's a little unnerving sometimes, like, what do you mean? Everybody has, not your personal pain necessarily, but sometimes it is personal pain, especially if like you, you're a small business owner, a mid-sized growth company. You have pain if your company has pain, right? I mean... It's kind of what I I pretty much, I guarantee it. So hopefully you can build a relationship where if someone can reveal that. And when we were doing the listening with our JG Wentworth customers, we really felt the pain. Like I literally need money now. I need to send my kid to college. She's going to be the first one in my family to go to college. I can't afford it. I know I have money locked up in the structured settlement. Help me get it. Or I need a used car. To get to work, my car broke down. I need 20000 bucks to buy a good, reliable, used car. But I need the money now or else I'm going to lose my job. Like there was true fear and pain with these customers. And so that's what led to the, it's my money and I need it now. It really struck a nerve. And that was either you're all in or you're all out. And we got a lot of criticism for it. Like we're pushing anger. It would be actually probably really popular right now if it came out in 2020, 2021, because there is so much anger, right? I won't get into politics, but it was probably maybe a precursor to that, but it wasn't meant to inspire anger. It was meant really to shed light on a point, on a need for this target audience. And it worked. That spawned dozens of sort of, Homemade copycat videos on YouTube as well. They're hilarious.
1: So, which campaign was more successful, the Opera campaign or the It's My Money and I Need It Now campaign? But, well,
0: Opera was much more successful, but the It's My Money campaign showed that we can go outside of the box, right? Showed that, number one, I had the full support of Mike and, you know, Gary to do this. And so I'm forever grateful for that. It really took courage. I think not necessarily my courage, our courage, right? Our combined leadership courage to say, we're going to do something completely different and we're going to take some risks here, but it's calculated. It's not just, Hey, let's try something. It really was calculated based on what our customers were telling us. And we really wanted to establish ourselves more in the mainstream. Frankly, we wanted to get recognition. No one knew what JG Wentworth was. So we used that as a platform, both of those campaigns, frankly, as a platform to grow out of the notion of, oh, they're a late night TV advertiser, which we never were, by the way. 95% of our advertising happened between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. That's when people watch cable TV. And that's when people are responsive to direct response. But that's all math too.
1: It's all about the math. You do it at late night, people. you're going to get the wrong audience. It's, it's just bad. So if you did spend the million dollars for the phone number, would it have been a positive ROI? Well, if you were listening to the person that sold J.G. Wentworth the number, I guess you could sleep at night knowing that what you were asking for wasn't crazy. Enough.
0: And actually, I'm thankful to him. Like I said at the beginning, a lot of this was serendipitous. Had that not happened, would I have researched hmm, let's see if 877 seven Cash Now is available. And if it isn't, you can always find the owner and then, you know, negotiate. I might not have ever done that. Probably wouldn't have done it. I probably would have been too busy doing something else to even kind of think of that. But that happened. That's luck is a thing. You have to take advantage of those sort of, and you don't know if it's luck at the time. It's almost like if something pops into your life and it is at least moderately interesting, don't ignore it. It's so easy not to return a phone call. It's so easy not to return an email. I mean, people are annoying. But if something is
1: moderately interesting, get back with them. And you're highlighting another really important point for marketing, which is the importance of being ego-free in order to be a great marketer. And what I mean by that is just because you didn't think of that phone number beforehand, you were still open to it when they contacted you. You had the idea of singing in the shower. It wasn't necessarily your idea to have opera singers singing it, but being open and sharing ideas and listening more than you're you're speaking is, is why these certain instances were as successful as they were. We're
0: all guilty of sometimes being prima donnas, but if you can just step back and give credit, more than you take credit, especially as you sort of rise up into leadership roles, it's so critical. And doing the opposite is so harmful. You always try to position others in front of you before yourself, before you taking credit yourself. That's a really good point, Evan.
1: Transitioning to where you are now, you're the incredible insider at the companies you work with. Well, I don't want to botch this, but would you describe it as essentially fractional CMOs for growing companies? Exactly what it is. Yeah.
0: So it's a network of folks like me who have pretty deep experience, either as a CMO or a VP of marketing, mostly like really impressive companies. The roster, we've got about a hundred of people like me. And I am just amazed at the folks that we have. This I learn something new every day from these folks. They're so generous with their time. We're all kind of we try to be generous with our time because we all know something different. We all come from different backgrounds. We represent, you can imagine, a hundred people representing just about any industry you can think of, just about any specialty you can think of, just about any vertical. And the one quick thing you learn is that there is no such thing as a full stack marketer anymore. Like you cannot be good at everything. And you really can't be good at a lot of things. But the value, honestly, is the network that we have. You can be good at everything. So I might take an assignment where, let's say, B2B lead gen isn't my deal. But that's a pretty important component of this assignment. I'm not going to guess. Let's put together a B2B lead gen program and let me go to YouTube and figure it out. I have world-class B2B marketers Sitting next to me, well, virtually. You know, we are 100% virtual. There is no office, so we're all over the all over the country, and I can get that advice, or I can even hire them, sort of, to work for me, to work on the engagement, to partner with me. It's a really interesting dynamic, and the main thing is we're trying to help mid-market companies understand and get to their growth objectives. And then some, and it's usually because marketing is sometimes an afterthought, right? I mean, especially, you know, you're a founder, you're an entrepreneur, you're busy building stuff. And do you have time, really? Do you have the budget to hire a person? Not until you get to a certain scale. And then even then, you're probably not hiring someone who has deep experience, who can really, they can execute tactically, but they can't necessarily see the big picture. They don't understand what we call the growth gears, which is you got to have the insights. You have to have understand your customer, the company, the competitors to power the strategy, which then leads to execution. They build upon each other. They don't have to be serial necessarily. You can do some of that in parallel. You can't execute without a strategy. You can't have a strategy without insights. When you're million company, a $10 million company, a lot of times you don't have that. I don't have insights. I don't know what you mean. I've got a bunch of data, but I don't know what to make of it. Help me connect those dots so that I can then build a strategy that is sustainable and then ultimately help me organize my thoughts around marketing. And that might include hiring a person or two to run marketing. Or or outsource it. I mean, you don't have to always have an inside person, but there needs to be a process, and it needs to be measurable and sustainable. And without that, it doesn't work. There's a bit of a a pattern. I know it's a long-winded answer, but that's kind of how we go about it.
1: So what I'm hearing is how important it is to have an outside perspective when you're working inside the business. You have a lot of knowledge about the business, but you could sometimes lose that overall market landscape and and perspective. So having someone come in that that has that perspective even though they might not know as much about the business is a good complementary knowledge base.
0: Many times, you know, in our fractional engagements, we are part of the leadership team. We sit at the executive table. We don't want to be bogged down by a bunch of meetings. That's where corporate America gets it really wrong. I've been there several Fortune 200 companies and their great experiences, love them to death, but the bureaucracy is suffocating. And so we don't want that, but we need to be at the table when we're talking about key strategy and areas, objectives that the leadership team has for growth. Yeah, we want to double our growth in three years. Okay, great. We got to figure out how to do that. We need to be there at the table when you're talking about that. And we do bring a different perspective. Honestly, the true value is it's not just Ken Murray's perspective. It's my perspective plus the perspective potentially of 99 others. We do peer reviews. Like I can bring a problem. I've got a client who has this issue. I'm having trouble figuring it out. I'll have a peer review and I'll have 30 people sit in on a workshop for an hour and we'll bang it out. I have the, <laughs> some plausible steps forward that I can bring to the client and say, okay, look, I sorted this problem out, I think, with the help of my tribe. We call it the tribe. Let's try A, B, or C. What do you think? I alone would never have been able to come up with that. It's all the notion of network and team.
1: Something that I find interesting is that, you know, as you were saying before, the importance of tying a marketing campaign to the core mission. And when working in the business, it's sometimes lost exactly what the core mission is. But when you're hiring someone to come in and help you with marketing... And they say, all right, I need to know what the core mission is. It's a forcing function to get that core mission.
0: Absolutely. And more often than not, one of the first things we need to do is to figure that out, is to figure out what is the why, because it isn't there. I mean, it's there. The CEO knows it. He or she is the visionary. But they haven't necessarily been able to articulate it. Again, I mean... A lot of businesses that, that grow aren't necessarily purposeful. Somebody started something and it worked and I did a little bit more of it and I hired some people. And before I know it, I had got a loan from the bank and I grew and now I'm doing all kinds of stuff and I'm working eight hours a week and I'm going crazy. But I don't know necessarily why <laughs> I just, I'm doing it and I'm successful. That's all good. But we organize those things because you can't market a bunch of activity. You've got to market
1: a purpose. Ken, this has been extremely insightful and interesting. The last part of the podcast episode is the lightning round, where I ask you four different questions and you've got two minutes to answer them. So, so answer whatever comes to mind first. First question, what is your favorite youth sports memory?
0: I have been a parent of youth sports. I have coached youth sports. I've been a board Member of youth sports organizations, and I have participated in youth sports. I'm going to go with the coaching. I love coaching. I coached CYM basketball team for about 10 years in Wilmington, Delaware. And I just, it's not one singular moment, it's the collective memories and collective engagement with those kids and just seeing them grow and being able to be part of that. It just, I can't even replicate that thought or that feeling. It just was amazing.
1: Second question When you were growing up, what did you want to be when you got older? I wanted to be a baseball player.
0: I loved baseball. I was pretty good at it. And I remember having a heart-to-heart with my dad, who was not an athlete, could care less about sports. And we had this, so what are you going to do when you grow up? We had that conversation. I said, I'm going to be a baseball player. He just looked at me and said, no, you're not. I think he knew the, the probability of success from decent 12-year-old baseball player to major league star. <laughs> it's- <laughs> Pretty slim. So I, I'm, I'm thankful actually to him for squashing my dreams.
1: Third question What is a brand whose marketing you admire most?
0: I'm going to go with Delta. Delta is my favorite brand, not just because of the marketing, but I think to me, so marketing isn't a campaign. The campaign is like, what's I can compare if you knew what the core mission of the business was, the why, that's the sun. The campaign is Pluto. Right? It's that far out from where the center of the universe is, which is the customer and the mission. Delta is so good at connecting with me and understanding what my needs are on a one to one basis. I never feel like I'm being marketed to. I always feel like I'm being treated like a world class citizen. I see it happening to other people too. It's something that they've been able to replicate and at scale. I'm just incredibly impressed with Delta.
1: And finally, Ken. What is your go-to cause to support?
0: Right now, I am uh, on the board of, it's a nonprofit that drives community activities and small business growth in the city of Nina, Wisconsin. I live in it's a little; it's a city on the shores of Lake Winnebago in, in Northeast Wisconsin, beautiful little town. And I've been fortunate enough to be involved on this board for a few years. And just creating a better place to live for people, providing opportunities, both employment opportunities, but also just cultural. It's something as simple as a free concert on every Wednesday night in the summer, or a holiday celebration where we close down downtown, or stimulating business activity where we can attract new businesses. That's kind of my passion for the past couple of years. It's been fun. I wish I could spend more
1: time with it. Ken, this was fun, insightful, educational. Thank you so much for coming on today.
0: Evan, I really appreciate it. I enjoyed sharing my experiences. I don't know if any of it had to do with wisdom, but have truly enjoyed it and will look forward to seeing it and seeing you soon when you come to Nina.
1: Yeah, I'll see you (laughs) at Nina for some quesadillas and some nachos, all right? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Ken. Thank you for listening to our episode of Kenbury. As a recap, we discussed the backstory to some of the most iconic marketing campaigns at J.G. Wentworth the power of understanding your company's why, and the importance of a fresh outsider's perspective when building your marketing strategy. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Evan Brandoff. See you next time. Play on, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a rating at leagueside.com podcast. For more educational and inspiring content, You can follow LeagueSide on LinkedIn and Instagram at LeagueSide underscore. See you next time.